Doctor. I'm a time lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casterbaris. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a Doctor, but I am... I'm a doctor. That's probably not the one you expect. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Where do you want to start? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the new Who Doctor Who Watch Along podcast. Uh, with me again is Harry Murdoch. Hi, Harry. Hey, yeah. Um, so this week we're talking about probably one of the most um, critically acclaimed episodes of Series 1, if not one of the most critically acclaimed episodes of um, the 2005 Russell T. Da- Russell T. Davis era anyway. I think it's Father's Day. Oh, sorry. What's the episode, Harry? <laughs> it is Father's Day by Paul Cornell. Yeah, I looked at some other stuff Paul Cornell's done, and to say that this episode is so well received, he only returned once more to Doctor Who. Well, for, to TV Doctor Who. He's returned in Human Nature, Family of Blood. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah, so it's, yeah it definitely seems like the ones that are most remembered and most loved, Father's Day and that two-part with Tenant, they're mm. often the ones that people seem to talk about the most when they talk about your fav- their favourite episodes. I know my mother's favourite episode of Tenant is the Family of Blood story. Mm. No, yeah, that's a really good one, yeah. yeah. And this one, again, is really strong. I actually have a funny relationship with uh, Father's Day, which is um, that, um, although it's not the first Doctor Who episode I saw as a kid, I first started with Series 2. On repeats, Father's Day was the very first episode with Christopher Eccleston that I saw. Oh, wow, really? So do you remember first watching this episode? Yeah, I remember watching it. I think it was a repeat. Well, I mean, I I could tell it was a repeat because it was Christopher Eccleston. And I knew... (laughs) But he'd played the Doctor before David Tennant. Um, even though I hadn't seen Regeneration, yeah. I, uh, I remember my family kind of explaining to me the concept of Doctor Who and Regeneration. So I kind of, you know, went along with it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I looking online, a lot of people are really fond of this episode. It's definitely an episode that people um, cherish for um, different reasons. What did you think of it when first watching today or yesterday whenever you watched it? Well, I remember when I first watched it, I'm very grateful that the BBC decided to repeat this episode and that I got to see it because um, I feel like it's kind of, if you're going to get into Doctor Who, it's kind of an essential one to view. Even if you're not starting with series one, you kind of need to see it as an explanation for why, despite the fact that these characters can time travel, they don't go around changing history yeah. for the better. Yeah, yeah, because that was one thing that I noticed straight away when he was like, you know, when he's like, okay, be careful what you wish for. And I was like, why, why are you going there? You know, <laughs> you, 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 even before you get there, he should have known what was going to, the Doctor should have known what was going to go down when, he, when they got there. Yeah, he should have probably laid out some clearer ground rules of, you can't interfere with history. You can't save his life. You can't change a fixed point in time. I guess it's kind of a thing where by that point, the doctor had built up a certain level of trust and respect for Rose. Yeah. And that in his mind, he expected her to act more responsibly than she did. 
And yeah. to Rose's defense as well, it wasn't, ex- he never explained to her that <laughs> doing what she did could have massive consequences. No, he doesn't, does he? No. You sort of think maybe after the long game where they go away with the legendary Adam Mitchell. Um, oh, oh, best companion. <laughs> you sort of think, because he has so much faith in her in that episode, that you do obviously just assume that she knows everything by now. I watched um, Russell T. Davis and he was saying, um, we've seen that Rose is basically a great companion for Doctor. She's a great fit. But even she gets stuff wrong. But when she does get stuff wrong, it's on like a catastrophic level. Mm. So what did you think? I felt like the character of Rose, this is... We've seen a lot of her character over the last seven episodes. But I definitely think this is one where those seven episodes all came together and we saw a lot of Billy slash Rose in this episode. Yeah, this is definitely the episode where um, Rose as a character um, is, as far as we've seen so far, at her kind of most um, emotionally kind of vulnerable and yeah. exposed. Yeah. And kind of, especially the scenes with her and reacting to her family and them not being the kind of perfect picture she painted in her head and kind of seeing how much it kind of hurts her to kind of see her mother kind of disregard her and be rude to her. And yeah, she really goes through a lot as a character and um, Billy Piper really does a great job kind of hitting those beats in a very kind of truthful and emotional way. Yeah, I found the scene um, where um, they arrive at the church and Jackie just instantly starts rinsing Pete Tyler. She's like, who's this girl? Where have you been? You almost got killed. You're a bad father to your daughter. She needs someone properly and all this stuff. And yeah. you have grown-up Rose, Billy, watching the scene unfold, who, you know, um, Jackie has always told her that her father was a hero. and She's obviously been lying because why would you want to paint a negative picture of someone's dead father? So she's been like, and you can see it unravel on her face that, you know, this person who she's always idolised is a bit of a numbnut, really. Hmm. And it's, it's very smart that despite it being demonstrated in this episode, you know, through time travel, um, really what it's showing is something that I imagine a lot of people growing up and a lot of children and families families could relate to which is as a child um you do kind of perceive your family to be this perfect family unit where every everyone always gets along everyone always kind of loves each other with kind of no cracks no wrinkles but as you grow older you kind of start to see that the world isn't as perfect as you'd like it to be and there's nothing you know wrong with that even seeing you episode that in the next scene um pete and jackie make up yeah and you know everything is you know (laughs) fine again um (laughs) but it's it is kind of quite a sobering thing to show and quite a mature thing for a show with a large audience of children to kind of show that kind of things aren't always perfect people argue loved ones argue but that's okay that doesn't mean they don't love each other yeah. I, it, yeah. Does um does Pete Tyler? Uh, I just fancy, kind of, sorry, go on. 
Um, I mean, it's kind of thing which I'd forgotten quite how um, I'd forgotten how little punches this episode kind of pulled yeah. in regards to the family dynamic and the family drama. I kind of really have to respect, you know, both Davis and Cornell for being that truthful and being that honest mm. in his depiction. No, I agree. Um, does Pete Tyler fancy his daughter a little bit at one point? <laughs> I mean, you know, he's not aware. And <laughs> Rose, you know, kind of says in the way that, um, phrases it in a way that kind of has to be phrased for PG, her TV, yeah. that like, don't even go there. I don't want to think of you going there. <laughs> you know that he's he perhaps has been um maybe not sleeping around but slightly clumsy. Well they mentioned the, the girl on the train with the duffel coats or something. Yes, where he's looking for his ticket, isn't he? And apparently lots of duffel coats fall on top of him and they were looking for his train ticket or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Something very vague that could go both ways. Yeah, because he does say at one point, he just says, Jackie, sometimes a duffel coat is just a duffel coat. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I really like the episode. Um, I really did like the character of Pete. Um, obviously, spoilers, we see him series two in a new sort of different way. But I, um, I really liked that he's like... Just that character, I really enjoyed him. It's a shame that we were able to see more of his character throughout this first series, I feel. When he's looking out the window at the car going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, there's that realisation. And throughout this episode, you know, he starts off, like I said, as a numbnut. And by the end of it, he's the hero that, you know, Rose had always imagined him to be. I would have really liked to have seen him yeah. do more, like, heroic stuff. Hmm. kind of see I mean I guess the thing of is a question of if we were to see him more whether he would be kind of that hero that he was in his final moments um it's because obviously there's the scene where he asks Rose um what you know their family's like in the future and how she grew up and if he was a good dad and Rose is kind of telling him all these kind of, you know, wonderful things like, you know, you read me a story every night, you would take me to the countryside for picnics. And even before he says, that's not me, you can kind of see on his face kind of this kind of realisation and this coming to terms that, you know, both that he himself, that he's recognising that's not him and that he has had a lot of made a lot of feelings as a father. And also there's him, and this is something which I think the episode does really well, kind of him, you know, coming to terms with the fact that he should be dead, that he's kind of currently on borrowed time. He works it out very well. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I mean, I guess kind of, it kind of shows that while he's a bit of a numb, that he is not a complete idiot. He, (laughs) you know, puts the pieces together, you know, seeing that, realising this is his daughter from the future that she's returned to a time, a rather unremarkable time, other than the fact that she's saved his life. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then with that description, it kind of shows that there is more to him than just being this kind of useless Del Boy type, as he's described. Yeah. Yeah, I picked up on that reference. I wasn't sure about that at first. I was like, 
still, boy. I'm, I'm having only fools and horses been on, but by this point, by 1987, only fools and horses have been on the TV for six years. So I think it had um, managed to cement itself in pop culture by that point. Um, yeah, how long did Only Fools run for? Oh, good question. I think only it ran for six seasons. Six, six or seven seasons. I think it ran for seven seasons. Right. Um, not consecutively year after year. I think it had a couple of gaps. Um, I think the seventh series ended around the early 90s. And there was a series of specials throughout the 90s. Um, and it came back in 2002 until 2005, I think. Yeah. So around the time of this episode um, in the late 80s, it was very much something that the public was very caught up in. And that it was yeah, kind of I the key so, yeah. 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 I like that. I liked all the... the obviously, um, when this came out, uh, 2000, was it 2000 and... Five. Um, Five. Yeah, of course it was. Of course, yeah. it's 2005. There is only the time is depicting is only um, it's only you know, uh, what is it? 18 years ago. Um, yeah, it's show. not long. It's about only around only around 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of refreshing to see uh, uh the show traveling back in time, but not too far. It's not like a complete overhaul of scenery is a much more kind of subtle and because it's much more subtle it's kind of a in a way a more kind of truthful feeling depiction of um yeah. the 80s that we perhaps see today especially yeah. with stuff like in the car playing songs such as rick astley never gonna give you up and there was another one I can't remember. Yeah, I noticed as soon as they stepped out the TARDIS to let us know it was the 1980s, they played um, Never Gonna Say Goodbye. As soon as they stepped out the TARDIS, I was like, okay, we're in the 80s. But I w- it, was a really, it was really noticeable the song was playing that I thought, oh, we're going to pan across and there's going to be someone walking around with a speaker or a car playing it. But no, it's, it's just the music. Like for some reason in the 1980s, you would walk out of your house and you would hear pop and you would hear you know um all 80s bands escape my mind you would hear the human league and all these different types of bands just leaving the house oh i've just i've just realized something clever they were doing with that song oh yeah I like, it as well, yeah. <laughs> never gonna make you cry never no, gonna it's, it's never say gonna goodbye, say goodbye never gonna tell a lie and hurt you never gonna run around and desert you uh, oh my god they did Rick Astley's never going to give you up. Like pl- the context of that song plays directly into the reason why Rose is there. Yeah, never picked up on that. Um, oh. one, the Doctor is. We can get into. There's one thing I do want to touch on. So do remind me about Christopher Eccleston's love for this episode. But before I get to that, um, but the, he has a really different, strange character arc as well. We see different emotions from him in this episode. Um, mm. one thing that I did notice at the start is when Rose is telling him about his, her dad he says where's this come from all of a sudden but surely why would he expect her to constantly be talking about her dead dad no, I don't know I mean I guess it's it's strange I mean it could be that it could be the same thing as later when he has a go at Rose where he's kind of Maybe from the moment she mentions him, he's suspicious that she wants to kind of 
abuse time travel for her own gain, and especially mm. following the episode The Long Game, in which the best companion, Adam, um, very explicitly abuses the power of time travel for his own benefit. Yeah. Maybe because that's on his mind, kind of as a follow-on from that, he's kind of suspicious that Rose is thinking of doing something similar. Yeah, you do get the impression that he sort of feels like he's maybe being used. Because mm. he, he says, doesn't he, he says, when I told you this could travel in space, you weren't interested, but as soon as I mentioned it was a time machine, you were straight on board. Yeah. So it does maybe um, make you think that maybe, even though she says this wasn't some sort of plan, the idea's obviously been there for quite a while. Yeah, it's been... Yeah, it's obviously a thought that possibly since the mention of time travel, it's something that's kind of thought that's been growing and growing in her mind. Yeah. He sort of comes across as a slightly jealous boyfriend, I found the doctor, especially that scene in the flat where he's where she's like, I know you're not going to leave. I know you're just going to stand around outside waiting for me to come back. He's like, no, I'm not. I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely a thing. Like, as the episodes have gone on, that kind of the romantic implications of their relationship and kind of the whole thing of them having a lover's tiff and them kind of being quite flirtatious be- seems to have become more and more apparent as the series has gone on. Mm. So the point where Rose in the episode actually says, why does everyone keep asking if he's my boyfriend? Yeah, she does, doesn't she? Yeah. One mm. thing about Rose in that scene as well is she's quite emotionally blind, isn't she, Rose Tyler? That whole In scene, what respect? She's going around going... Oh, look at all these inventions my dad made. Look at his water and energy drinks. And the doctor's just stood there, like, giving her devil eyes as if to say, what the flip have you just done? And she just yeah. can't see it at all. Yeah, she can't read the room. Yeah. And what is it she says? I mean, I guess... doesn't she, she thinks he's annoyed about something else, but I can't remember what. She thinks he's annoyed at um, Pete calling him her boyfriend. That's it, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a thing where I suppose so far, um, but for you know the vast majority of most episodes, the Doctor and Rose have been on the same page, have been quite in tune, and yeah. so I suppose she just kind of has gotten to into a to a point where she feels like a certain level of just kind of very comfortable and at ease around the Doctor to the fact where she is kind of, you know, taking him for granted, similarly yeah. to the way that she's taking the time travel for granted. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, I also like the fact every death that we see in the episode, about Bronner Ones, ones where we actually see them killed, all have to be holding some sort of object that they can drop once they've died, so that we know they're dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get past those senses. Yeah, I did notice that this... Is I think even though this episode is really good, out of the ones we've watched so far, I think it's the most dated. It feels like a two thousand and five TV movie. Those uh, those uh, do you want to talk about those monsters? <laughs> the um, the Reapers, I believe they're called. Yeah, is that what they're called? Yeah, I did have to look it up because I don't think it's actually said in the episode. Hmm. I think they were a very, I think it's a very cool concept. I think it's a very smart concept. Um, the idea of kind of when there's a rift in time, they are able to kind of come in almost like bacteria into an open wound and destroy things. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it's something totally original to the show. Um, 
uh, I might be entirely wrong in this, but I think there's a Stephen King story which has a similar monster. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think even if so, the context which they used here adds a lot to them. Yeah, and it's a very kind of threatening... Des- Sorry, go on. And it's, it's got a very threatening design as well. I guess the problem is that <laughs> it really... Um, it's that, you know, it's the 2005 BBC CGI. <laughs> no, definitely, yeah. I know that they were originally meant to look like the Grim Reaper, that it was going to be look like Grim Reapers walking around. But apparently they like, didn't go with that. Sorry? Like a costume. Yeah, yeah. But apparently they didn't go with that because it looked too much like the repeated meme from End of the World. You know, the black cloaked... Oh yeah, those, were they robots to repeated meme? I think yeah. they were, weren't they? Oh, they, they were some. They were revealed to be something at the end, weren't they? They were working with Cassandra. Yeah, yeah. I think it was some kind of decoys. Yeah. What was the whole Watson come here? I need you thing about. Um, Echo. Uh, the Doctor said that that was a recording of the first ever telephone call that was made. And so I guess the implication is is that because. Um, time has been messed with so many ways and it's such a vulnerable place kind of things are falling apart a little bit and one of the um, artifacts of his phones not not being able to work and all you're getting is that phone call it was a slightly strange um, inclusion I felt for when it came up I was like oh I'm going to start paying attention now (laughs) because you know we're dealing with multiple time zones and towards the end of the episode I was like what was that yeah, it would be interesting if this was a concept that was kind of revisited if someone messed with um, a point in time which shouldn't be messed with and that you kind of started to see more out-of-time things slipping through the cracks. Yeah, that would be interesting. I'm glad the, the father of the groom got murdered. He was a bit of a dick, wasn't he? I mean, didn't they all like come back at the end anyway? Yeah, that was a shame. I feel like it was maybe a warning. But he was like, you shouldn't marry her. She's 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 like trouble. She's always been trouble. She'd curse. It's not too late to walk out. I mean, they seemed quite happy together. Oh, they seemed really happy. Oh, he's the father. I did write the the groom comes across as a really great character. Like that scene where he goes up to the doctor and he's like, "No, listen, it's the phone. Listen to the phone." Yeah, and he's like, you know, okay, my dad's dead, but I'll mourn him later, sort of thing. Yeah. With um, what little screen time the bride and groom get, um, kind of the scene that they have is done really well. And it's kind of quite lovely the way how the ninth doctor is kind of <laughs> so gets so caught up in the story of how they first met. Yeah. And kind of how, even though he's kind of in a sense looking from above as kind of like this um, alien time lord, he is very kind of. In de- he is very kind of um, taken with kind of the simple human pleasures of, you know, meeting out on a night out and getting yeah. a taxi ride home. Yeah, because he says well, I've never been able that to him do that. Finding that so endearing then makes yeah. him very endearing. Yeah, no, I really did enjoy that. Um, Rose, even though you know, I said at the start, um, Rose is a good companion, but it, when she does mess up, it's something big. She was told repetitively not to touch that baby. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> then, then like, when um, Pete passes it to her, she's just like, <laughs> quite... She just sits there, doesn't she? Like, 
<laughs> yeah, without thinking about it, like, if she could have, like, sidled up the bench. Yeah, 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 yeah. She could have said, I shouldn't touch that, but... Because they know at that point, Pete knows at that point that Rose is his daughter, so it wouldn't have been out of the question for her to go, by the way, I shouldn't touch the baby because we will both die. Mm. <laughs> yeah. How did the Doctor and Rose get into Pete and Jackie's wedding? Pardon? How did the Doctor and Rose get into Pete and Jackie's wedding at the start of the episode without them really noticing? Well, um, well, Rose kind of, so to kind of cover her back, tells Pete that she's a guest at the wedding. No, I mean, at uh, 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 Pete and Jackie's wedding, when we see them get married at the start of the episode. Oh, Pete, yeah, yeah. that's a question. <laughs> that, I... I, I haven't thought about. I mean, it's a it's a fun scene. It's a cute scene. I'm glad that that scene is kind of in it to kind of establish that even Pete and Jackie's wedding day isn't kind of like this perfect fairy tale wedding. Yeah, you get um, the name wrong. But yeah, it does kind of beg the question how they got there. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we just like parked the TARDIS inside the building and are just <laughs> casually walked in and grabbed a seat at the back. Um. I think we're forgetting one massive, massive character from the episode that has gone unsung for far too long, and that is baby Mickey Smith. Oh, yeah, little... <laughs> is, it, is it, like, five? Little five oh, this is what five. I wanted to bring up. I was under the impression from episode one where Rose starts with Mickey and Rose sat on sat in London eating chips and messing around that the two of them are the same age and both 19. Yeah. In that in Father's Day, I would say Rose isn't even two. No, I think she's at most, at the very most, she's one. But Mickey can talk and run, and he's been to the park. So Mickey's about four, four or five. I, yeah. Four at the youngest. Yeah. So, so that's the... At least a three-year gap between them. Yeah, so when she's 19, he's 20, 21, 22. Okay. Which is acceptable. But how long yeah. has Rose been... How long have they been dating? Yeah, because, and it's a question of how they'd meet, because they didn't go to university. It's established yeah. they didn't go to university. Like, Rose didn't even do A-levels. Yeah, um, I was going to say it. You might they might meet each other at A levels, but even then you're not mingling with people three year yeah. groups above you. I, I can't I can't imagine they would have really known each other. Oh, it's so in, obvious how they know each other. Their families are clearly how? friends. They went they went to the same Oh wedding. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I mean I guess that's the only way that I can think that like they get to know each other and but it wouldn't be until like you know, they were a bit older that they kind of noticed each other in that way. No, yeah, I um, agree. Yeah. So, I, I mean, uh, it's perfectly... Go on. I mean, it's, it's a perfectly believable. Um, like, it's, you know, I've known much more drastic age gaps that people <laughs> have had relationships in. Yeah, because your, your mum's, how old's your mum? 62 and your dad's only just turned 19, hasn't he? I, I, I think you're gonna have to rethink the um the timeline on that term. <laughs> um, anything else? Okay, so out of what we established last week as a scale of 
fantastic to why won't you just die? What well, I I only have three marks for that. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, and number two is get me out, get me out. Okay. I still need I, I still need to figure out three through to nine. Okay. Where okay, so are you, whereabouts are you rating this? I'm rating this um an eight or nine. Oh wow, so really, Maybe really nine. high. The highest we've had. Is it the highest we've had? I believe so, yeah. I don't think we were doing this rank system for Dalek. But we didn't, okay, we didn't rank Dalek. Dalek could very well be a 10 for me. Okay, but, so, this is, so Dalek still comes before this. I think so. I had to think about it because this episode, um, for me, it was a very... Um, I was surprised by just quite how emotionally charged it was and just how caught up I was in it, kind of on an emotional level. Um, and I think, um, I mean, especially towards the end, like the bit right before Pete runs out to the car, like he says goodbye to Jackie and gives out that really passionate kiss and hugs Rose and says how grateful he is for all those extra hours. Um, that really got to me. Um, like I, I, I could feel my eyes getting a little bit dumb, you know? Um, Yeah. This was the first time in a long time of rewatching Doctor that I felt I could feel a lump coming in my throat as they were saying their goodbyes at the end. Yeah. And it moved me. And yeah. because of that, I, for a while while watching it, I was torn thinking, is this better than Dalek? Do I like this more than <laughs> Dalek? I feel like there's still a lot in Dalek that just, I'm so passionate about, and I will find an opportunity to talk about later down the line. <laughs> um, I f- feel like this is definitely my second favourite episode of the series, at least. Oh, at least great. my second favourite well, so far. It may be your second, but it is Christopher Eccleston's favourite. Really? This Why is his favourite he... episode. At conventions and stuff, he was saying it's tradition to have an episode that is Dr. Light. So it gives the the audience a break from the Doctor and it gives the actor a break and I'm not sure if they still do that, but um, he said, do, yeah. yeah, at the time of recording this, he had gone away to go and see his father, who was, um, if you've, I haven't read his book, but I know from interviews with Chris that his father has Alzheimer's, hmm. so that he had gone away to spend time with his father. I'm not sure if his father was passing away at this point or, you know, I, I don't know the details, but he had gone away to spend time with his father and then came back to the set of Father's Day, where it's about Rose getting to know her father. And it's, he said it's, it's one of those episodes that just, when he looks back at the time of filming it, it's one of his uh, favourite ones to, you know, like the memories of that episode and filming it are quite significant. Yeah, cool. Cool, right. I, I, Sorry, go that's on. Interesting. I didn't realise that, um, I didn't realise this was a Doctor, this was a Doctor Light episode, because I know that, I know of episodes such as... Um, Blink. Love and Monsters and Blink and I can't remember what the series four one is, but I know it is kind of a Ten Left. Definitely a re- Oh yeah, Ten Left, yeah. yeah. I, I know that it is quite true. Uh, um I didn't realise because I've always kind of fought back to um series one and I could never figure out which episode was <laughs> the episode where they had to work around the main actor's rehearsal schedule, which one was the one where they had a limited budget, which episode was the you no know, for Doctor Light. 
Yeah. And I, you know, I guess this really is the one. It's all, you don't all, really think about all it. All one location, really, isn't it? I feel like it's maybe yeah. classed as the Doctor Light one because I imagine a lot of Chris's scenes could have been filmed in, you know, three days. Yeah. Whereas I mean, Billy's it's not something you really think. A bit longer. Yeah. I didn't really consider it Doctor Light because the Doctor's only really out of the picture for like that very final bit in the third act. Um, but really, when you think about it, there are a lot of scenes where while he's, you know, the Doctor's in the story, he's not on screen. So, yeah, it's very clever in that sense. I didn't yeah. really think about that. Yeah, cool. Um, anything else? That's everything, Harry. Next segment is a segment I haven't warned you about. Oh, is this a different segment to last week's segment? Yeah, we're going to do the recommendations in case you've got a recommendation. But I have a new segment, and I've cleverly called it Quiz. You, you, not me. I hate being patient. Patience is for wimps. Oh, wait, what? Quiz? Why is that? Clever? I've got three questions here about the episode Father's Day. I want to know how much attention you were paying to the episode. Oh, okay. They're all plot points, so they're not behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, all right, so just from watching the episode, I'll know the answers. Yes. When the okay, Doctor and really? Rose are stood watching um, Pete jump in front of a car, uh, sorry, when he steps out in, in front of the car, on, there is a poster behind him, and it says, No third term for who? Thatcher. Yes. <laughs> Another bit of... Clever, subtle, 80s world building. <laughs> yes. What is Jackie Tyler's maiden name? Oh! <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to guess this one. Um, uh, Jackie Apples and Pears. <laughs> it's, I believe it's pronounced Prentice. P-R-N-T-I-S-E. Oh, of course it is. So of course that it one, is. Right? That's embarrassing. Okay, final question. There's only the three. What date was Pete Tyler born? Did they mention his birthday? Yeah, right at the start, Rose, when she's doing her opening monologue, she says, My father, Pete Tyler, born. Uh, what year? What year? Um... Uh, 1952. Uh, uh, oh, so 1954. Ah, what, what was the... Did he... Oh, was it only a year? No, pick the month. Can you get a point for the month? Uh, April 19th? I don't know. Ah, uh, the 15th of September. Ah. Oh, so in a couple of days. <laughs> a couple of days from recording this. 14 days, it's a big man's birthday. <laughs> well, make, make sure to make a tweet. Uh, happy birthday to Pete Tyler. I'll, I'll just write that down. That's a good idea. Sweet PT birthday. <laughs> yeah, so you got one out of three. Well done. Yay. <laughs> Having you all. Now, now we can go back onto the segment I think you're more familiar with, which is recommendations. Where, um, as much as me and Harry like talking about Doctor Who, we do sometimes talk about other things. 
Um, do you want to re- what you what you recommending this week, Harry? Um, what I'm going to recommend is um, something I think I've brought up before in a podcast. It's uh, it's not an easy find. I'll admit, I had to specially find it on DVD and um, get it ordered to me. Um, I got it as a birthday present uh, last year. But if you can find it, it's well worth a watch, which is The Second Coming. Ah, yes. It's a a short series. I think it's just two parts from the 90s. Um, It's a British drama written by uh, the the Doctor Who showrunner, which we are currently looking at, Russell T. Davis, and it stars in the Knife Doctor himself, Christopher Eccleston, <gasps> as... Um, My goodness. It's every, yeah. What more could you want? Yeah. And it's a very interesting premise, uh, almost kind of a precursor to him playing the Doctor, where he plays um, a northern working pl- class guy, just a regular guy, and um, regular one day Joe. he just... Yeah, one day he just walks out into the into the countryside and he's lost for several days um i can't remember the exact amount but it's the same as <laughs> jesus wandered in a desert i think and then when he's found he realizes that he's the son of god and he can perform miracles and it's just about him um delivering this message to the world and how the world responds to that including people who are close to him um kind of world leaders the news it's a very involved um piece uh the world building that it does and how people react feels very kind of truthful and it's one of russell d davis's uh strengths in my opinion and everyone including eccleston delivers a great performance and also someone else uh from doctor who um What's the name of the guy that Rosie's? I uh, in... knew you were going to ask me that. Yeah. His name is uh, Mark Benson. Mark Benson. He also plays one of the key roles in The Second Coming. I won't give away what he does if you're lucky enough to find it. <laughs> but he is also um, brilliant in the show. It's, it's a short but very sweet um, two-part series. Uh, I imagine you'll be able to find it second-hand on DVD. Yeah, there's quite a few copies on eBay part. when I last looked. Yeah, um, but it's well worth looking to, well worth watching. If you're fa- a fan of Russell C. Davis, if you're a fan of his era of Doctor Who, and you kind of want to see kind of almost a precursor to this first series yeah, and a bit of context for it. Awesome source. That sounds so... It sounds like all the children are smiling at once. Anyway, <laughs> my that- recommendation... <laughs> Sorry? Is that a Doctor Who quote? No. Uh, yeah, yeah, it might be, actually. I don't know, maybe. It sounds, it sounds like something, like something Capaldi, like would, Capaldi say. would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, my recommendation... It seems like all the children are smiling at once, Clara. <laughs> my like recommendation is the, 2000, is the April 2019 to... Um, it will be September 2020 run of Shazam DC Comics... Um, I've been. Oh. I'm not. I know. I if you follow me on Twitter at Tim X Saxby, you'll know I do like my movies. And I like my superheroes. That said, I don't read a lot of um, comic book stories. You know, I own you know the ones I have to own: The Killing Joke, The Long Halloween, 
uh, a couple of Justice League ones, but it's very rare do I actually go out and buy the comic book, the slightly smaller, about A5 size, I think they are now, comic book stories. Um, the Shazam ones are really, really good fun for someone. If you're looking to get into comics, I definitely recommend them because they're fun, they're lighthearted. You don't need to know practically anything about Shazam. Um, you don't have to have seen the movies, you don't have seen any of the other comics. You can just start reading it and they're really good. Um, there's casual appearances from other DC heroes in there. I won't spoil any. To whet your whistle. But they're really good. And they're, unfortunately, coming to an end this month with their 14th issue, I think. Um, so, yeah, de- definitely recommend people go read them. Yeah, that sounds great. I do need to get into more comics. Um, I've only read a couple of Stanley Spider-Mans. Um, yeah. But I kind of really need to broaden my horizons, yeah. Uh, same here. Like, I'm looking up now at my comic collection that I've brought with me, and I have the Back to the Future comics, Batman Along Halloween, Justice League, Throne of Atlantis, Fight Club 2, and Batman The Killing Joke. So I basically own the ones which I should own. Um, ah, right. <laughs> well, that's it. Um, One thing I really want to get around to is uh, Watchmen, which is by Alan Moore, who also did Killing Joke. Um, yes, same here, yeah. I've heard kind of, lots of people kind of say it's one of, if not the greatest comic slash graphic novel made. So hmm. that's something I, I'm going to look into. Maybe yeah. one of these weeks I'll say I recommend Watchmen. <laughs> Maybe he will. Okay, well, we'll wrap it up. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do. You can go to Twitter and just type in with your fingers at bigger on the pod. Uh, we're on YouTube, Bigger on the Inside podcast. Acast, you can listen to the show at shows.acast.com forward slash Bigger on the Inside. Yes, I am reading this from a piece of paper. Uh, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes or even send us a good old-timey email at um, biggerontheinsidepod at gmail.com. How exciting does all that sound, Harry? It sounds incredibly exciting. I'm going to go and do all of those things immediately. And we already do have one five-star review, but don't believe what you hear, because I didn't write it. (laughs) (laughs) Do we actually have a review? Yeah, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to lie. Every time I get a notification for a YouTube video, I click on and like it. Oh, did you? Oh, there we go. And you should too. And if you're not doing that at home, we'd have time for you. So saying that, if you've listened this far... I don't actually... (laughs) I'm going to be... I'm going to let you in on a little insider secret. There are, most of the videos I don't actually listen to because I hate the sound of my voice. Um, I hate your voice as well. There's only the, the two-minute bits, like the little two-minute ones, the three-minute ones, I actually quite enjoy because I can bear the sound of my voice that long. <laughs> Should we briefly talk about something maybe we wouldn't recommend this week? Do you want to talk about um, the film that's going to save cinema? Tenet, yeah, we can talk about. We can, we'll talk about it briefly. I know people tune in for Doctor Who stuff if they do tune in. Um, it's but, sci-fi. But me it's and Harry sci-fi. went and saw Tenet or Tenant or Tenet or Tenetinet, whatever it's called. I think um, it's just Tenet. Yeah, I, I know. Maybe it sounds like we're being a bit harsh. I do maybe feel our um, cinema experience is slightly, t- t- um, you know, was already tinted badly by the fact that the cinema almost closed down as we were watching the first screening but um, yeah when the film started the film was like flashing like 
red and blue. And at first we thought it was some kind of like stylistic thing that like no one was going for some kind of like deliberately glitchy opening crawl. But then the film started and it was still happening. (laughs) Yeah, we got a good five minutes into the film before someone at the cinema stopped it and went, yeah, you're not going to be watching Tenet tonight. <laughs> I mean, we got to see it eventually. Yeah, we snuck into another screen and we saw it in there. Um, I'm glad we didn't pay for it. I wasn't very excited by it, unfortunately. And I... they, yeah, they gave us, they gave us tickets um, for another free screening, which was very nice. Yeah. yeah I, um, nice I, compensation. I really hate not enjoying a film because I really want to enjoy all the films I watch. Yeah. It's really rare I come out of the cinema and go, that was not very good. Yeah, like, and I was, it's tough, like, yeah, when you go into a film and, like, when you, you know, go to the effort of going to a venue to watch something, mm. I, I do want to enjoy it, I want to have a good time, but unfortunately for Tenet, it felt like an uphill battle. Um, yeah. And I hate to say that. Um, and I, I'm sure... I can identify and I know there are people who've really loved this movie and I can see why, like um, the concept is like cool. They do some cool stuff with it. Some of the action scenes um, really kind of lean into that kind of technical spectacle where mm. if you, f- it to think how did they pull that off? Yeah. I wouldn't even begin to be able to explain about seeing a few behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, I feel like I maybe think- that's why if you enjoy Tenet, I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy it. You can like what you like, and that's totally up to you. But I maybe do feel that some people think they like the film when what actually they like is they like the visual style of the film and they like seeing the buildings on the screen fall apart and realign. And that's, you know, if that's what you want to see films for, that's perfectly fine. Like, I'll admit, like, I love a Mission Impossible series, and the reason that I love those movies is because Tom Cruise does these insane ball-to-the-walls <laughs> kind of stunts. Yeah. Um, I feel like, though, for me, where Tenet didn't work for me was in the way that it delivered exposition and progressed mm. the story, which yeah. um, I think this is quite often for Christopher Nolan, that a lot of the dialogue exchanges are very expository. Yeah. And especially with this film, they are dumping a lot on you. It yeah, it's can like, be quite big action well. scene, big action scene, big action scene, sitting in a cafe for 10 minutes while we have a conversation about what just happened. Big action scene, big action scene, big action scene. Two people walking past the church while they explain what happens. Amazing action scene with a car. <laughs> ex, ex, talking, then, then just two people talking in a shipping container for 10 minutes. Yeah. And that didn't work for me. And I think the other thing that didn't work for me was, and I, I don't know whether or not this was deliberate or not, but the characterization felt very kind of by the numbers. Like, yes. all the main players felt like quite um, kind of explicitly obvious tropes to the extent that the main character doesn't have a name, but just called the protagonist. Yeah. And then the female lead, very for a lot of the film, feels like they're occupying this kind of damsel that needs rescuing role. And then mm. the bad guy, um, played by Kenneth Branagh, is quite a, um, you know, it's nothing you haven't seen before, this international um, weapons warlord profiteer. Yeah. 
One problem that I really had with the movie, and I spoke about it online, was the characterization of the film's one and only female lead. Mm. I felt she had some good action points, but when she wasn't doing anything, she was either just a damsel in distress, and no slight spoilers, I guess. Um, I won't go into the context, but her only action scene is in the last 10 minutes of the film, and it is done... In the wet, in her wearing a loose fitting shirt and a white bikini. Mm. And I sort of felt, and I expected more from Christopher Nolan in that regard. I was like, it's a bit weird. I mean, it's a shame because you can tell, like, even despite you can tell that these are all very talented actors that he's got. And there are parts where it shines, like um, the protagonist and um, Robert Parsons' character, they both are obviously very charismatic and there are a couple of exchanges of dialogue between them where uh, you can feel they're brushing on that chemistry. Yeah. I, for whatever reason, it never quite hits the mark the way mm. I wanted it to. He was good though, Robert Pattinson. I felt he was, um, for me anyway, he was the saving grace of this movie. Mm. Yeah. And uh, looking forward to him making a career comeback with, uh, let's say... Vengeance. <laughs> Twilight Reborn. I cannot wait. Anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. The whole gang's back. Bill Lautner, Christian Stewart. <laughs> and uh, this time, it's personal. <laughs> so you can come back and listen to us next week where we won't talk about Tenet. We will only be talking about episode... We, are we doing episode 9 and 10 together? I think it makes sense. Yeah, okay, well, we'll be talking about episode 9 and 10, which are called What, Harry? The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances, both written by the now quite well-known and quite renowned Stephen Moffat. Woohoo! So come and listen to that next week, if you like. Um, thanks for listening. Bye-bye from me. Say bye, Harry! Bye-bye! <laughs>